Namo tasa bhagavato alahato sama sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato alahato sama sambuddhasa Namo tasa bhagavato alahato sama sambuddhasa Buddhang dhammang sanghang namasami For this evening's Dhamma talk, just in the last uh, fortnight of this rain's retreat, I wanted to uh, talk about the subject of the seven bojangas, the bodhi angas, the limbs of bodhi or the uh, elements of bodhi. The reason for bringing this subject up now because it does very beautifully tie up a lot of uh, points which I've been teaching in the last uh, two and a half months and uh, it also uh, illustrates uh, how that this practice leads to uh, Nibbana how it leads to the understanding of Nibbana and then to the realization of Nibbana and then to the entering or uh, ending of Parinibbana. So these uh, seven bojangas should be well known and uh, should be cultivated. Obviously you need to know them first of all before you can cultivate them. But also one needs to know their context as well. Uh, the Lord Buddha called them uh, Bodhi Angas, for the reason that they lead to enlightenment, they're conducive to enlightenment. It's a good expression of the path to enlightenment in the sense that each of these factors should be well developed. Uh, you all know the first factor is Sati. It's not uh, wise just to restrict that to mindfulness very overused word. Uh, sometimes uh, the reason why we don't fully understand the Dhamma is that we think we know it. It's a job of a teacher, it's a job of uh, the Dhamma actually to stop you and say, do you really know what that term means? Have you fully penetrated uh, the whole range of that term? Because if a person thinks they know that term, they take it for granted and there's much that they miss and that is not conducive to their progress on the path but there's a great hindrance there. The term sati uh, has, <coughs> excuse me, has the meaning of mindfulness but also has the meaning of recollection as well in the sense of memory and in the bojangas uh, these bodhi angas, the elements of bodhi, that one should also remember that term includes and focuses on this uh, thing we call remembering memory, especially in the terms of remembering the dhamma which you have learnt, which you have heard, or which you've experienced. Uh, it's uh, part of the 
uh, ingredients which give rise to enlightenment, that you should have some knowledge of what the Dharma actually is. I've given before a simile of a map and a flashlight leading to the treasure. If you only have a map, it might be a very good map, but no flashlight to find your way through the dark forest of ignorance. Then you find that you will never be able to find that treasure. You'll never be able to discover it. You have the map and you walk right over it without knowing you're doing so. You're very close, but think you're far. That's the problem with having a map, but no flashlight. If you have a flashlight, which is a very strong beam, you can wander in the forest for a long time, for many lifetimes. Again, because you haven't got the map, you just don't know where to focus those powerful beams. Again, you can't find the treasure. If you have the map and the flashlight, then you have a very good chance of finding that treasure. In that simile, the map is the Dhamma. The Dhamma you've learnt, the Dhamma you've read, some of the Dhamma you've experienced as well, if it's in accord with the teachings of the Lord Buddha, if it's in accord with the suttas and the Vinaya. That is a map which is necessary to find the treasure. And you know what the flashlight is? That is Samadhi. That powerful mind which actually illuminates so this experience we call body and mind, which penetrates deeply into the very fine particles of body and mind, which can see very clearly what's going on. The ability to see clearly depends on samadhi. You've all been practicing meditation for long enough now that you know that when the mind is peaceful, uh, settled down, when it's had a good meditation, the result of that afterwards is the mind is very clear, is very penetrating. Whatever you turn your mind towards, whether it's a, a worldly problem or whether it's a problem of Dhamma, you find you can unravel that very easily. The mind has power, the mind has penetration that comes from samadhi. That's like the flashlight. So you do need to have some knowledge of the Dhamma and you do need to have the samadhi as well. And you do need an accurate map as well. There are many maps of the Dhamma going around the world but it's the maps which are authored by the Aryans, which are the ones which lead to the treasure. And if you have doubts about who's Aryan and who isn't, then just depend upon the suttas. These are certainly the teachings of the Lord Buddha. This is certainly the Dhamma. This is <coughs> certainly approved by all the Aryans for the last 25 centuries. So look at that Dharma in the suttas and take that as your map and take samadhi as your flashlight. With that combination you should be able to find the treasure. And sometimes people ask, well why is it that other traditions, they have jhanas, but they don't get enlightened? It's because they haven't got the map authored by the Aryans. If you have jhanas, 
and you're exposed to the teaching of the Aryans, then you've got this combination of gunpowder and a flame, and something's going to go bang, and the defilements, the fetters, are going to get destroyed. It's only a matter of time if a flame is waved around a big pile of gunpowder. So the purpose of sati in the Bojangas is dual, it's mindfulness, so you're gathering information, but also you're recalling, remembering the Dhamma which you've learnt, the Dhamma which you've heard. You have that recollection there. Sometimes I wondered about the uh, dual meaning of sati here, and always recalled that whenever I was listening to a Dhamma discourse, or even when I was at school or college, listening to the lecturer, if I did pay full attention to what was being said, then I would remember it, I would recall it. It was the ability to sustain that quietness in the mind when I was listening to the teacher that gave me the ability to recall and remember and sometimes even surprising myself just how that memory worked. Unfortunately that when many people are listening or even reading the eyes are doing one thing and the thought is doing something else. The ears may be listening to the talk but the mind is listening to the commentary about the talk. That's why one does not remember. The way to recall or remember is to put full attention to what you're doing in silence so that at the time you are mindful that mindfulness is focused on the task you're sustaining that mindfulness with samadhi and you find you remember these things with ease so sati as it were, creates that memory. And the sati can also recall that memory, recall those teachings. And this is an important part of the first bojanga. However, one of the points of this evening's talk is to bring to your attention, for those of you who don't know already, that each one of these limbs of enlightenment or factors of enlightenment it says, should be based on four things. We wake nisitang, we raga nisitang, niroda nisitang, and wasaga nisitang. Nisitang literally means resting on. It's similar to the, the word nisidana, sitting on, resting against, leaning on. And the first one is is the sati which rests upon, which leans upon, which depends upon, viwaka. And viwaka, you should all know by now, is that solitude, that aloofness, that leaving of the world. In the Dhamma we have two types of viveka, which again are complementary to each other, not really separate. Is what they call kaya viveka and chitta viveka. And kaya viveka means taking the body outside of the world. 
when you take the body outside of the world into this monastery, when you take it outside of the kitchen, outside of the office, outside of all the, the busy places, take it into your hut, take it into the forest, take it into solitude, that is Kaya Viveka. And from Kaya Viveka, that separation of the body from other people, from business, from talk, from doing, from all the complications of the world, that should lead to Chitta Viveka. The mind also becoming aloof, becoming separated. In the imagery of the Pali Canon, it is going into the inner cave. At times when I was in Thailand, when uh, I was in any mountainous regions, I used to enjoy going into caves and sitting meditation there, sometimes all day. Not just because they were cool, but also because <coughs> they were a very beautiful metaphor of going into the cave inside. When you walked into a cave, it was not just cool, it was dark, it was silent. The five senses were subdued in the darkness of that cave, in the silence of that cave, in the coolness of that cave. It was very easy to use that metaphor of going into a cave, to go into the mind, a cave, into the nimitta, into jhanas, a place which was also cool, which was dark, which was very beautiful and powerfully silent. The kaya we wake her and the chitta we wake her, they go together. It's a, <coughs> it's a leaving of the world. We wake her is the noun, we wicha is the jeranda absolutive, we wicha wakamehi. Vivicha akusalehi damehi is the opening description of the first jhana. It's wewakered, aloof, separated from the world of the five senses. Kamehi. Karma, K long A M A, is concerned with the five senses. Their comfort, their satisfaction, their delight. To be aloof from that five-sense world is to be aloof from the body. To literally be apart from the body. To be apart from the hindrances. To be apart from the world. That's what waker means. And waker is achieved. It comes to a sense of fulfillment in the achievement of jhana. That's why that the happiness in jhanas is also called pa viveka sutta. Pa is just an intensifier here. It means like intense seclusion. This is a happiness of intense seclusion, of leaving the world. That leaving the world, that seclusion, that giving away, that viveka, is the heart of this Buddhism, the heart of this practice. I was uh, telling a couple of people the last week that a few days ago I had a, a very inspiring dream which I woke up with and which gave me a lot of pity f for a long time. And dreaming that I found this <coughs> somewhere in Australia, sound it's cleft in the rocks. 
and went into that cleft, that narrow passage, and went down and found there was a little tunnel, a little cave, which it took a lot of effort to squeeze through. And going through that small opening, it opened up into another cave where there was a monk there. And he'd been a monk there for over 200 years, just alone, not knowing how he survived but developing Viveka, developing jhanas, developing that leaving of the world. And that image of renunciation, and that metaphor of finding a cleft in samsara, and going down that cleft, finding that tunnel and working hard to get into that tunnel, into the jhana worlds, and seeing there just the, the ideal monk, being there for countless years, doesn't need food, doesn't need kutis, doesn't need support because that jhana world supports itself. The imagery in there of viveka, of like aloofness, of renunciation and just the bliss of such renunciation, the purity of it, the loftiness of it, the fact that that's at the very heart of the Buddha sasana, just reminded me of viveka reminded me of renunciation, reminded me of simplicity, reminded me of what my purpose is as a teacher or an abbot, and how a monastery should be built, or rather grudgingly built. This is Viveka, and in each of these bojangas, especially mindfulness, it should be the mindfulness based on that renunciation, based on that seclusion, which remembers it and keeps it in mind. In the same way we do anapana sati, the mindfulness which follows the breath. So in the first bodhi anga, we should do mindfulness which follows viveka, which keeps it in mind, which recalls it, remembers it, and practices it. We should also do mindfulness which follows <coughs> viraga, because this is the second thing which the Bodhi Angas are based upon. Viraga again has got a dual meaning. It's got a meaning of fading away, of things disappearing, of things which were once important to you now becoming so valueless that they disappear from the mind. And also has the meaning of passionless, which if your mind is very sharp, you can see are the same thing. For something you have no passion, you have no desire, you do not care for, that too fades and vanish, is. It's a passion the delight which keeps these things going. As I've mentioned to many people who have problems with the thinking mind, with thought, the only reason why that causes problems in your meditation is because you have passion for thought. You're involved in it. You value it. You care for it. You worship it. A person who knows the delusion of thinking. Who knows that it never gets to the point. It always misses the goal. It can appear to be close, but it never 
has an ending. If you realize the illusion of thought, its uncertainty, then you have a means of becoming dispassionate towards thought. You're not a supporter of thought anymore. And when you don't support it, it starts to fade away and vanish. That fading away and vanishing of things, the dispassion towards things, that's the viraga. And sati, mindfulness, should be based on that, should recall that, should keep it in mind. The whole purpose of this monastic life is to develop that fading away of things. Not to make more, but to give away, to abandon, let go. To become dispassionate towards things, peaceful, cool, <coughs> un unmoved, unshaken rather, by the winds of the world, as was mentioned in the Ratana Sutta. The person is unshaken by the four winds, as a stream winner. They become dispassionate. Things start to fade away. So it should be mindfulness, based on fading away, disappearing, ending of things, not starting new things. There should also be sati, which is based on niroda, this very powerful and beautiful word, which literally means cessation, ending. Viraga is the process, things going to an ending. Niroda is their stopping. Niroda, ending, ceasing, stopping. Again, is a very powerful word. You find that the reason again why meditation doesn't get deep is because in the meditation you start new things. You start new ideas. You start new ways of looking at things, new avenues of thought, new papunches, new proliferations. If you could keep in mind during your meditation, if you're doing anapanasati or whatever sati you are following, <coughs> keep in mind that niroda, the purpose of this meditation is niroda, cessation. The means is keeping cessation in mind. Whether it's a five sense world, allowing that to come to an end whether it's your thoughts, allowing that to come to an end. Whether it's your breath, allowing that to come to an end. Even allowing the nimitta to come to an end, to achieve the jhanas. Allowing the piti sukha to come to an end. Allowing perception to cease. All these things based on Niroda. You remember these things, and then you can keep them in mind. That's sati. Vosagga Nisutta is the fourth foundation, if you like, of the Bojangas. Vosagga <coughs> means giving away, letting down, letting go. 
It's a group of words, such as like chaga, it's like generosity giving. You've got nisagya, which is again forfeiting. You've got pati nisaga, as in the third noble truth. Literally rejecting, rejecting craving, rejecting uh, uh, attachment, picking up, clinging. Saying, no way. Rejecting samsara, pati nisaga, and this is wosaga. Whole group of words with this this ending saga. The word saga <coughs> means just giving these things away, giving them, putting them down, realizing that these things are just heavy weights, are burdens, are things which you shouldn't be carrying anyway. You can imagine like wosaga to be like in one of these hot air balloons with all this ballast which keeps you low to the ground and you take hold of that ballast and you throw it down that's wasaga when you throw down that, those burdens, those attitudes, those hindrances throw them down, they don't belong to you, you've got no business with them moreover they're an affliction to you they keep you low to the ground, they stop you soaring into the heights of samadhi this, as you go higher and higher, you can see further and further. When you get high enough, you should see far enough to see the whole of samsara and see the end of samsara, nibbana. So, wasaga is like abandoning, letting go, giving away, throwing away, throwing down. And if you keep that in mind, wasaga when you're doing any sati, any mindfulness practice. If you keep that as a mood, a theme in the mind, it's very easy to get samadhi. That's why it says in the Indriya Sangyuta, it's an alternative to the samadhi Indriya, vosagga alamana. The, the arom in Thai, the mood, the theme in the mind, of just putting away, letting go, taking something which is a bird and putting it down, throwing it out of the basket of the balloon, so allowing yourself to go higher into the rarefied realms, the cool realms of jhanas. And it's a good thing always to remember when doing samadhi practice, to keep wasaga in mind. The whole purpose of this meditation is letting go, giving away, it's renunciation, simplicity, it's going into caves, not into metropolises. Metropolis here means all the convoluted thinking and thoughts and ideas. It's going away from that metropolis of complicated thought, into the very simplicity of the forest, of no thought or the very least, one thought, a single thought. So the sati should be dependent on those four things. How should the second bojanga of dhamma vichaya? This is the investigation of the dhamma. For most people they think that that's investigation of their own papancha. That's <coughs> not what that word really means. So that to be an element of enlightenment. It means the the investigation of the Dhamma, of the one thing, 
from that one thing you can only know if you go deep into the mind the heart of all this I was very grateful to uh, Venerable Bhikkhu Bodhi for pointing out the essential meaning of Dhamma as opposed to the word Atta which is the consequence Dhamma is the heart, the source of this and that source is not a god or a me or a mind it's just this process, this heart you can call that cause and effect if you like for indeed the Lord Buddha said person who sees the Dhamma sees Paticca Samuppada sees dependent origination or the person who sees the Dhamma sees the Buddha the Buddha is single the Dhamma here is that Buddha is that cause and effect the heart of all this seeing this one thing <coughs> they just chanted in the Ratana Sutta that there is no Dhamma uh, equal to the Buddha to the enlightenment of the Buddha it's a single Dhamma when you can focus on that Dhamma, investigate that Dhamma and investigate that Dhamma to check you're doing the right thing to realize that it should be investigating a Dhamma which is resting on Viveka, on Viraga, on Niroda, on Vosaga it should be the Dhamma of seclusion, aloofness, separation from the world it should be the Dhamma of fading away, of dispassion it should be the Dhamma of ending, stopping, cessation it should be the Dhamma of giving away those are the Dhammas, or rather aspects which point to the Dhamma which is where the investigation should be going I said I wanted to talk about this to bring things together that investigation should be done throughout the practice of samatha the practice of jhanas sometimes people say you should do jhanas before you do the investigation sometimes people say you don't need to do jhanas at all just do investigation I've constantly said here repeating the words of Tanajan Chah the investigation and the calming should be done together and wherever you go in this path always take investigation along with you as one of your tools as you're de de deepening your samadhi always keep investigating investigating in the sense that if you come across an obstacle see what the obstacle is and in the context of the Bojangas see if you're investigating based on aloofness on dispassion fading away on ending and on giving away is that what you're investigating on? are you investigating to gain to get somewhere in the world to do, to be, to become if it's resting on those four things then you find it's powerful because it's going towards the Dhamma you're investigating that which will not just create deep meditation and jhanas 
investigating that which will give you enlightenment. There is this just one path which is focusing on the same area, getting closer and closer and closer till you can't miss it. Dhamma is that spiraling in, not just with thinking but with experiencing, with investigation which is non-verbal. The Dhamma so often that Dhamma Vichya, which is <coughs> how is done, is with thinking, it's just intellectualizing. And I thought he said that that thought will never truly penetrate to the truth. As I've mentioned to a few people in the recent interviews, that to really understand something, you, I've given this simile so many times, especially in the city centre in Nolamara, hold up the nearest object which, whether it's a stick or a biro, what is this? And people say straight away, a pen or biro. They think they know. So much so that the mind goes to some other business. They feel they've dealt with that, they've finished with it, they fully know it. That's what thought does. And you tell them, look again. And they say plastic, look again. They say five inches long, look again, black, blue, whatever. Keep asking them to look again until they exhaust thought, until they exhaust their knowledge. Only at that point do people start to see what this thing actually is. The thinking based on your language is samuti. It's unreal. This is like conventional. And if you believe all of that, and think that's all there is, you'll never find Nibbana. Stop the thinking. Investigate silently. Be able to have enough samadhi or sustained attention that you can take up, if it's a biro in front of you, and be able to look at it for a long time, many minutes, in absolute silence probing deeper and deeper, way beyond what you ever thought that was. And not only will you be fascinated by the depth of things you can find and just by the shallowness of all you've been taught and all of your so-called knowledge, but you'll also get a handle on how insight works and why people are deluded in this world. They just don't have enough samadhi. They just trust the old ideas. And Dhamma Vichya should be done in silence, probing in and in and in, based on renunciation or awaker, aloofness, fading away, dispassion, ending and giving away. The next of the Bojangas is Wiriya, the energy. Energy is quite easy to understand and sometimes, as in the Anapanasati Sutra, that these things follow on one after the other. As you start to really do Dhamma Vichya, based on Sati, which is also recollecting the Dhamma, the energy arises. For those of you who from time to time experience dullness in your practice and tiredness 
and the inability to really get going in the morning or the afternoon or the evening. Remember that Dhamma Vichya often leads to energy. The Lord Buddha once said to Mahanama, who was supposed to be a stream winner at the time, that you should develop the sati, the recollection of the Buddha, Dhamma and Sangha, and also Sila, your morality. He was a stream winner, so his Sila was perfect at the time. Until such time as Dhamma Veda and Atta Veda arise. Dhamma Veda means like inspiration in the Dhamma, inspiration in the, in the consequence of that Dhamma, Nibbana. Get inspired by the investigation of the Dhamma. If it really is investigation of the Dhamma, it does give you that joy. The Dhamma is beautiful. The Dhamma just gives you so much happiness. It rouses you. Sometimes, that if I have low energy, sometimes I go and read a sutta, or go and listen to some chanting on a, on a cassette tape. <coughs> it's amazing just how that energizes you, how that gives you joy in this wonderful, freeing Dhamma. Again, there is no jewel in heaven or earth which is equal to Dhamma, Buddha or Sangha. Here I'm focusing on the Dhamma. Once you actually know what the Dhamma is, or have some feeling for it, just contemplating it, bringing it up in mind, just energizes you. This is the energy, and it's also not just any energy. You can get energy from all sorts of things. You can get energy by doing things, by creating things, by building monasteries, or spreading the Dhamma by writing books. You get energy from these things, sure enough. But is that energy which is based on Viveka, on seclusion, aloofness? Is it energy which is based on the fading away, dispassion? Is it energy which is based on Niroda, cessation? Energy based on giving away. There are many types of energy, virya. But to be an element of enlightenment which leads to enlightenment, it has to be the energy based on those four things. Especially the energy we wake. Sometimes people when they start monastic life, or even they've been going on monastic life a long time, but still don't really have a feel and a love of we wake. Sometimes they get bored at first. But after many years as a monk, you come to love Viveka. You actually delight in being alone, both physically and mentally. And you have this the most wonderful time. It's not with other people, not doing things, but just alone in your hut, not meeting with people, not even reading your books, but closing your eyes, sitting in solitude for hour after hour. It's a delight of Viveka. You, from that delight, the energy just flows. It's the energy which is based on Viveka. From fading away in this passion, it energizes you. <coughs> Creation tires you. Doing more things, making more things, thinking more things. It just, it tires. But energizing, from fading away, 
the ending, at long last the journey is coming to an end. The road is reaching its finale. That gives you energy. It's like you've, you've walked a long, long distance over many lifetimes and you can see just the resting at the end of the journey. Of course, your step quickens up. You, you're energized. This is the energy based on Viveka, on Viraga, on Niroda, on Vosaga. That's the energy which is the Bodhi Anga on the limb of enlightenment. And as I already mentioned, that each one of these leads to the next. Actually, it's not just a linear sequence, but that linear sequence is valid. They all swirl and support around each other and support each other. Because from energy you get pity. The pity is the delight in this. The mind which just goes towards these things and finds great happiness therein. The pity, the joy based on aloofness, based on dispassion and fading away, based on Niroda, cessation, ending. Some people get scared of the idea of Niroda. Some people actually recoil from the ending of things, so much so they say that's annihilation. What they're saying is they're getting no joy in that very concept, in that idea. They still want to be. If you know the Dhamma, you get so much joy in the fact that all this is going to end. The irritation of the senses, the burden of the five candors, that the smell of existence. Remember what the Lord Buddha says? Even a little bit of existence, of bawa, is just like having a little bit of dung on your finger. Even a little bit smells. He repeated that with urine, excrement, and goodness knows what else. All of it, pus I think as well, all of it stinks. Even a little bit of existence, the Lord Buddha said he does not praise. But Niroda, the ending of existence, that, Bawa Niroda, that he praises, that is fragrant, that gives rise to pity, to joy, especially to Aryans, to Arahats, to Buddhas. So it's a joy which is based on that ending. It's a joy which is based on giving away. How many people on the world, in the world get the delight in accumulating? In accumulating material things, or in accumulating knowledge, accumulating fame, in accumulating ideas. All of those ideas you'll have to leave when you get Alzheimer's. What's the point of it all? When you get old, you tend to forget all of those things you spent so many hard years learning and memorizing. And when you die, well, what use were all those ideas, all those thoughts, all those great thoughts you had, unless they've led to Niroda, they led to giving away. That's a pity which is based on giving away. Certainly in my life, every time I've given, I've always got so much joy.
whether it's giving away my material possessions when I was a young school teacher, whether it was like giving my time to the Sangha, was giving my body, my energy to the Dhamma. You get lots of pity that way. I remember once, years ago, it just comes to my mind now. In the old days, the old ways of the forest tradition, when monks used to make their own robes, and they used to have to make the dye for their robes as well. There were some monks who were become, there were some novices, so they were becoming monks. I think it was Ajahn Kawesa Cohen and Jyoti <coughs> Jyotika were becoming monks. I ordained before them. And they were already spent one night just making the dye, and the next whole day, and it was the second night they were going to stay up all night, making the dye for their robes. It took that long to make the dye. For those of you know, the old monks here who remember you know, chopping up the jackwood tree and boiling the water and doing it again and again and again and again, then finding that the, the earthenware pot you put it in was leaking, so you wasted a lot of it. All those little things which happened. And so that second night, I didn't need to make any dye. I went up there to volunteer. I said, you guys go and have a rest. I'll work this night for you. And so I worked all night and let them have four hours of sleep. And the following day, I was surprised. I was not sleepy at all. Even though I hadn't slept that night, after the arms run, I didn't want to have a rest. I remember going up to Ajahn Sumato, who was the abbot then, and I said, this is really strange. Can you please explain this to me? Why is it that I haven't slept all night and I've worked, but I've got all this energy? And he said, well, if you go and help others like that, if you sacrifice your own comfort, then you get energy, and you get delight. And that was one of the, the times when I started remembering or understanding how this Dhamma works. Think of yourself, you get tired. Sometimes sacrificing gives you energy, gives you delight, gives you pity. This is a pity based on Wosaga. The virya based on Wosaga is the energy, virya, the delight, pity, which is based on giving away, renouncing, letting go, abandoning, not thinking of yourself, not possessing, not craving, not clinging, not grasping. All of those things you are going against and gives rise to pity. Especially if you start to let go of the, the body and the mind. This is the pity of jhanas, based on Viveka. First jhana is the pity sukha, which is born of that Viveka. If it's full Viveka, full aloofness, that gives intense and profound happiness. Now, when you experience these jhanas, you should always say, why is this so blissful? It's because of Viveka, because of Viraga, because of Niroda, because of Rosaga. That's where all that comes from, from those four things. You're finding the, the source of pity, how pity, how delight arises the beautiful delights, the jhana worlds are far more pleasurable than the heavens. The heavens are pretty good, but the jhana realms are even more delightful. The most beautiful, the most blissful, 
that you've ever experienced in the jhanas. Why? Because it's based on these four beautiful things. Viveka, Viraga, Niroda, Vosaga. Gorgeous words. Even talking about them, the pity is really coming up in my mind now. From piti comes pasadi. The pasadi is the settling. I was mentioning to the, the novices, <coughs> uh, nun, and the anagarikas, anagarikas, that my preferred translation for pasadi is like settling rather than tranquility. Because this is where you settle in to the meditation. When you settle into the meditation, the body becomes tranquil or settled. The mind becomes tranquil or settled on its object. That's pasadi. You know it's opposite when the body will, you always have to scratch it or move it, fidget it. Never really comfortable. When you get samadhi, the body is easy. You don't need to move it. Sometimes when I sit in meditation, the first 15 minutes are difficult. I've got hay fever, the, the, the nose is itching, you blow your nose and disturbs you. The body hasn't got pasadi yet. Soon you get some samadhi going, so the nose doesn't itch anymore. Now the, the body doesn't itch, the knees don't ache, the bottom isn't sore. You can sit for a long time. That's kaya pasadi. It's based on viveka, viranga, niroda, vasaga. You've got to become aloof from that body. Leave it alone. Separate the attention from this body. If you're still concerned about it, it will never give you a moment's peace. Allow it to fade away. Become dispassionate. I don't care about this body when I'm meditating. It can ache, it can hurt, it can go lame. I don't care. I'm putting my attention somewhere else. It can cease. It's marvellous when the body disappears. That's the neuroda of the body. Because you give it away, wosaga. Abandoning the body, abandoning the world. How much time is taken up with this body? Housing it, feeding it, washing it, keeping it comfortable. People in the world are caught up with the body 24 hours a day. Either their own body or someone else's. For the monastic, you haven't got anyone else's body to look after. But don't be caught up with your own. Abandon it, leave it alone. Go to the realm of the mind. Wosaka of the body. And it gives rise to the peace of the body. And from that piece of the body, you're working with the mind, watching the breath. It takes a while for the mind to settle on the breath. When there's that settling on the breath, that's the citta pasadi. The calming down of the breath. For those people who know Pali, you have in the Anapanasati Sutta, Pasambayang, Kaya Sankarang. Pasambayang is a verb. Pasadi is the past participle. It comes from the same verb. 
you do the pasambayan, the result is pasadi. Calming down the breath or settling the breath. Once it's calmed down or settled, that's pasadi. When you can just watch the breath for long periods of time, easily, that's pasadi. So it's very easy to understand how pasadi leads to sukha. Just the happiness, the ease, born of having let go of burdens. That's why meditation is easy, because it gives rise to ease, that sukha, that happiness, that freedom from affliction, which is sukha, the ending of things. But this again is a sukha which is based on aloofness, not the sukha which is based in the world, having nice food, having nice place to, to sit, being warm out in the sun, seeing the beautiful monastery, seeing the little kangaroos jumping up and down. Not that sort of sukha, <coughs> but the sukha based on vivaka. The ease and the happiness born of just being by yourself in your hut, alone. The happiness and peace which doesn't need a book to interest you. So happiness and peace when you're just watching this one breath happening now, or even better, a nimitta, or even better, just the mind. This is that happiness born of Viveka. You find the deeper you get into meditation, the easier it becomes, the more peaceful it becomes. That's why the mind likes to stay for long periods of time in the deep meditations. The deeper it is, just you can't get the mind out because it's got so much ease, so much stillness, so much peace. There's nothing to disturb it. It can't wobble its way out. It's a sukha which is based on viveka, viraga, and dispassion, fading away. The happiness of ending, rather than the happiness of starting and beginning. That's why sometimes uh, deaths are very beautiful. Births, are stupid. If you want to cry, cry when a baby is born. A baby cries, it knows better than its parents. But does a corpse cry when it dies? It's so peaceful. It even lets a smile on its face, even though that's due to the undertakers. It still has a smile on its face. It's other people who cry. It's strange, isn't it? At birth the baby cries, the parents are ha a smile, at death the corpse smiles and the, the other people cry. <laughs> the, but the sukha, the happiness of ending, stopping, the happiness of giving away, always gives you a lot of joy and ease. When you give something away you don't have to worry and bother about it anymore. Give the monastery away, give the body away, you can give the mind away as well. Anyone want a mind? I often used to joke if, if like the Christian idea of a devil came and said, I'm going to take your soul. And they say, if they give a big donation to the nuns monastery, they can take it. I'm sure I'd get a much better deal out of that because there's no one in here anyway. They can have my mind. It doesn't belong to me. But whatever, it's the happiness of renunciation, of giving away. The sukha, the ease of peace. That ease, that peace, which comes from the development 
of Dhamma, the development of jhanas, the development of the enlightenment factors, that is a sukha, which is just really wonderful and profound. That's bliss. That's why sometimes you say ease, happiness, bliss. You want to know what bliss is? It's a bliss which is based on those four things. If you want to know what the ultimate bliss is, just as Venerable Sariputta said, when asked what's the difference between dukkha and sukha, getting reborn is dukkha. No more birth is bliss. From sukha, you get samadhi, the sixth of the bojangas, and I talked a lot about samadhi. That's sustained attention based on viveka. Sometimes it's easy to sustain your attention when you're writing a, a letter, if you're into writing. Sometimes it's easy to sustain your attention when you're listening to a radio. Sometimes it's easy to sustain your attention when you're reading a newspaper. But that's not samadhi based on viveka. This is the samadhi which is based on these four things. Is that samadhi which is either contemplating Dhamma, one Dhamma, fixed on that Dhamma for long periods of time, or the samadhi of jhanas. Ease, happiness, that bliss, that sukha which is based on viveka, viraga, niroda, vosaga creates jhanas, creates a beautiful samadhi. And that samadhi creates upekara. Looking on, silently, quietly, not disturbing what you're looking at. Here, the mean, in the sense of the Bojangas, the Buddha was saying that these are the things which lead to enlightenment. They happen after enlightenment as well as factors of enlightenment, but in the <coughs> function of leading to enlightenment, the upeka which comes from samadhi is that which can just look on an object without disturbing it. They used to say in physics that an experiment always misses a lot because as soon as you look, you're disturbing the experiment. As soon as you measure, You've already moved things. Upeka is that which looks and doesn't move anything, which doesn't disturb, doesn't add or detract from what you're looking at, the defilements. The upeka, which comes from samadhi, is that ability of the mind to look, sustain your attention on something and find out its dhamma. It's yonisa manasikara, that work of the mind which goes to the very source of things by just watching without doing anything. Upeka, watching over. Sometimes it's one of the reasons why we, we don't find the enlightenment insights. We always disturb things. By disturbing them, we're making them fit what we want them to be. We get scared of what we don't know. We get exhilarated when we think 
that I am getting enlightened. If you take the I away from all of this, you can have some upeka. This has to be the upeka, the looking on, which is resting, dependent upon aloofness from those things. When you're really aloof, this is not me, this is not mine, this is not a self, these things don't belong to me. Then you can really look. Only then can we pasana really arise. When you're not involved, only just looking. If you're involved, when craving, when clinging are there, you mess everything up. You bend everything. If it's based on viraga, looking on, allowing things to fade, looking on, allowing everything to end, looking on, allowing things to go, to give away. This is the upeka which leads to enlightenment. It's also the upeka which leads into jhanas. When you come to that stage of nimitta, you have to let go to the point that you're just looking on, but not doing anything. Upeka is mindfulness without the doer. Just looking. So that's why it's sometimes called equanimity. The doer has gone, has disappeared. Once a nimitta arises in the mind in that stage of the meditation, you can develop upeka there. Get into jhana, great, don't great. No excitement, no fear, no desire for the next moment in the meditation. Completely content with this moment, this equanimous towards the process. Means you have gone. A craving, which is the opposite of equanimity, has faded away. There has to be the equanimity based on these things. As Ajahn Chah used to say, not the equanimity based on the water buffalo who just sits there out of stupidity. Not the equanimity based on, on stupidity. But the equanimity based on Viveka, Viraga, Niroda, Vosaga. So those are the seven factors of enlightenment. You all know those seven factors. I may have added a few extra angles on them, but in particular I base them on Viveka, Viraga, Niroda, Vosaka, emphasizing that aspect of these seven factors of enlightenment, seven angles on enlightenment, seven uh, things to be developed and made much of which lead to enlightenment. So hopefully that you can gain some further impetus towards both jhana and towards enlightenment as a result of this talk. That's all I wish to say this evening. Has anyone got any comments or questions? Okay, about to finish off. <laughs>